Hi everyone and welcome to Opera Omnia, the podcast that takes a director's entire filmography and goes episode by episode discussing, dissecting and getting all round groovy with the content. This is season two, kicking off a brand new season. Thank you for journeying over from season one into season two. In real terms, it's only been, what, like a week and a bit between one season finishing and the next one kicking off. But as you know, every season we will pick one director, shine a spotlight on him and go through his movies. And each season has a resident guest host that joins me. This season we are looking at a rather accomplished, and yes I'm being biased because it just seems to be British directors I'm picking at the moment and kind of more British dark arty directors, uh, which is my bag if I'm I'm being honest. Uh, But it is my show, so I get to choose. Uh, But yeah, we're going to be looking at Peter Strickland joining me for this entire season run of four movie reviews is a very talented individual. Now, this guy and me go way back, although in saying that, we don't record nearly as much as not for trying. We do occasionally bounce ideas off each other, and on paper, they sound like they would be great and we should do them, and then we forget. Now, I won't say that's age, because it's not. I think it's just because everything else is moving so quickly, and we move at our own groove. Joining me for season two is one of the hosts behind... Hello, this is the Doom Show. It is, of course, my good buddy Richard Glenn Smith. How you doing, sir? Hello, hello. <laughs> this is Richard speaking. Can can you hear me, buddy? <laughs> Such a pretty good old man voice. Mine's is <laughs> terrible. Like mine's kind of just sounds like I've you know like I've stubbed my toe. Um, it's just like kind of <laughs> hey, you're sorry. You know, it's like for some reason I've become American. <laughs> Don't know how that hey. happened. Age that you know, <laughs> the Viagra just kicked in, so I am ready. You are ready. And stiff as well. Boom. Dear God. Um, yeah, so you are joining me for this season. Now, I extended the call to you, I, I think it was about two and a half, maybe three months ago, when I was like, Strickland should be the next guy. And if we're doing Strickland, I, I should get Richard on, because you have a certain penchant, shall we say, for the genres in which Strickland plays. His playground is very much that of the 70s Italian, the, in some respects, 70s and 80s uh, exploitation of Spain, and just in general, all the good stuff that comes with that kind of gnarly European side of horror, and... You have books <laughs> dedicated to such topics, so you are the man for this series, surely. Ew, bro. <laughs> I'll bring up that stuff. <laughs> so, so's your face. Um... <laughs> no, I, yeah, I am super stoked because one thing about this director is he does these things that are homages, but they aren't uh, corny mm. and they aren't tacky. They're, they're very, very original looks at these bygone days of filmmaking. Yeah, I think it's, as well, it's one of those ones where when you have... Because this, these genres have become incredibly popular in the last, well, 10 years with kind of high-definition releases uh, kind of taken off. So all these labels are scrambling like hungry, hungry hippos to try and gobble up as much of the content that never really either made its way properly to DVD or did 
but in a way where they've been so long out of print that collectors are desperate to get their hands on them. And as a result, I've seen quite a lot of directors say, well, this is my nod to Giallo cinema. And I watch anybody like that, well, no, you've taken the wrong thing away from Giallo cinema. Yes, it looks pretty, but you, like, where's the mystery? Where's the, huh? At the end, there's none of that here. Um, so I, I think it's it's like almost paint by numbers. And I think you're right, Strickland really comes at it from a, an approach first and foremost that he wants to tell a story and then he picks all these different references and ideas and styles uh, to almost brundle fly kind of collab them together and what comes out is I think it's like you hear the term every now and again a genuine love letter to exploitation cinema or a love letter to Italian exploitation you hear these things before and that's legitimately how I would describe Peter Strickland's work I think it very much is a entire love letter like you said to genres that are, are long since gone but done in not only a tasteful and artistic way but one where I, he's doing it for the right reasons. He's not doing it because he wants to make a kind of pseudo quasi giallo. What he's doing is he's he's got this really interesting idea of you know a sim designer, and he's gonna pick an interesting time for sim design, which I mean it's that fits. So I, I'm, it'll be interesting to see where we're going now. Unlike Watson from the previous season, you are fairly okay with Strickland's work, and up until getting ready to do this recording you'd seen two of his four movies what two movies had you seen i had seen uh barbarian sound studio and i had seen uh duke of burgundy so you've still to see in fabric then yes and i have not seen cattle and varga yet yeah <laughs> I'm glad that what? we're uh, who? <laughs> what year is it? Um so yeah, I mean uh, uh so you have yeah, so you've you've seen these two movies that got like a ton of festival and critical acclaim. But what's really interesting in the way that Strickland and Wheatley marry up is that both of them kinda start with very humble movies. Uh you know, small indie movies that don't cost a lot. Catelyn Vargas' his first movie, it's the one we're going to be discussing on this episode, which he paid out of his own pocket. I mean, this was completely self-financed, buggered off to Transylvania for, you know, a couple of months, um, and just, like, went, not guerrilla-style filmmaking, but it's not far off it. He, you know, hired local actors, uh, used the landscape to kind of speak for itself, and shot his movie off the grid. Now, there's a ton of things in the UK I don't know how things work in I don't know how they work in America but in, in the UK there's lots of avenues open to aspiring filmmakers through like uh, grants or, or, or lottery funded grants um, that you can apply for and what I remember reading at the time is Strickland hadn't had much luck with any of that so went away and did it himself and his movie like kind of landed with a bang you know got a lot of a lot of critics turn around and saying, who is this guy and why is he making movies over there when, you know, he's British and he should have been... Where, where's the British funded money? Where, where's all this stuff? It was that very much like you should have... It's the Cronenberg thing, isn't it? Where Cronenberg um, like gets a lot of shit from, for censorship and stuff from his government that funded them to make those movies. <laughs> like, here's money, go make a movie. Right, here's a movie I made. Great! Um... 
and then you know people start complaining about it. Well, I mean we didn't. I mean we all oh, we did fund them. Well, right, he shouldn't have made that. He should not right. have made that. So I think it's interesting, but also I think speaks to the the lack of. He's never really been compromised as a director, which I think is really interesting. And it brings me to what will be a bookended question in that in the last recording we do in this series in the future, Richard, in the future, I'm going to ask you to revisit this question. Um, But if I had to ask you to describe in three words um, Peter Strickland as a director, knowing that you still have one movie to watch in his filmography, what three words would you pick? Uh, Let's see. I would start with uh, brooding. Mm. And I would say... Um, less of a, an adjective and more of a noun. Uh, soundscapes. Yep. And um, I think uh, I don't. It definitely doesn't apply to this one. Uh, <laughs> wistful. Wistful. Right. Ah. Yeah, um, that, that word might get crushed later. <laughs> well, here's with this movie. Yeah, here's the, here's the beauty of of doing this is at the end after watching all these movies, we'll revisit these three words and see if you're still happy with them or if there's anything you'd swap out. Now, the rules of Opera Omnia are really simple. Every episode, we will look at one movie from his catalogue in order. So we're starting right at the beginning, 2009, with Catelyn Varga. Now, at the very end of each episode. Uh, out with this one because the de facto will be that this is the best Strickland film that we have seen up until this point because we're doing them in order but every episode I'll ask you uh, do you think that the movie you've just watched has bested the previous best movie and uh, like I said to you off here in Highlander style there can be only one at the end of this series we will say either in full agreement or maybe at odds with each other what we think the best Peter Strickland movie is to date. Now he's a busy guy and he's still working and I know people out there have access to things on the internet. Some of those things are are fun, some of those things are dark and disturbing and some of those things are things like Wikipedia and IMDb which is both. Um, (laughs) And they will know that you know Strickland himself has done I think it's two shorts for anthologies. We are not covering them, we're only doing feature movies. Um, So yeah just be mindful of that. And yeah, I'm really looking. I'm to be honest, I'm super excited about this one because I try and pick the host to marry up with the director. So I'll pick a you know a host who has a interest either stylistically, genre based, or you know from a specific writing style, or you know something that will kind of bring them in and where possible try and get that host in a position where they're familiar but maybe not necessarily an expert on said director. So you were the obvious choice for me. Mm. Uh, you have a show called Hello, This Is The Doom Show, the Doom Show podcast, which I do dearly love. Um, tell the listeners out there what you do over on that show and let us know um, your thoughts before we begin this as to what you're hoping at the end because like we say, there's one movie still left for you to watch. This is the last movie, arguably his biggest movie. It's the one that got most buzz. Uh, but what, what are you kind of hoping at the end of this season to come out with when it comes to Peter Strickland? Well, first of all, bend me, shape me any way you want me, buddy. I'm here to get into any position that my sorry old body can handle. 
which is probably just sitting down. But no, hello, this is the Doom Show. Uh, we've over the last nine, going on ten years now, which mm-hmm. is terrifying when you see how few episodes we have for <laughs> being around that long. Uh, we really try to focus on uh, European horror, Italian horror, the giallo, uh, with a healthy dose of sla- slasher talking. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some of the really strange stuff. Each co-host kind of brings their own thing. Uh, Brad and I, we have our favorites because we've been friends for, I don't even know, freaking 15 or 16 years now. And so we try to attack the stuff that we see not getting enough attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon and I, we are very much in line with uh, Euro horror stuff. And he and I both are avid fans of uh, Asian horror. So we're trying to sne- sneak some more Asian horror in. <laughs> Jeffrey, um, I feel like I'm forever indebted to Jeffrey for completely changing my viewing habits mm-hmm. where he likes all the snooty stuff, like the artsy stuff. He's got that that somewhere inside him. I've not found it. I've been looking. <laughs> but he also has this amazing ability to find what people would consider the worst movies <laughs> ever. Shot on video stuff. Stuff that's just broken, logically broken films, you know, boarding house, um, like weird, weird, weird. Like, we've been doing a shot on video thing, Mm -hmm. finding shot on video movies, and that broke us completely. But all three of them bring this this craziness. So I feel like my tastes have really expanded over the years. And this, you bringing me on board for this, expanded my taste because... Uh, Cattle and Varga, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it. It's so different from the other three films after that. Yeah. That, I mean, this is this is something totally unexpected when I tracked it down. Yeah. And so I'm hoping to find a common thread in all four of the ones we're going to do. And I, I'm really curious to come out the other side after In Fabric to see what you know, if anything, like I can find to connect all these things together. Yeah, I think this is the, this is the exciting thing about doing um, specifically Strickland on this series because Ben Wheatley has a very, very not unique at all, but he has a very identifiable style of storytelling. There's always there's there's always a dark vein right in the centre of a Ben Wheatley film, regardless whether or not it's he's, he's doing a kind of action comedy or you know an out and out sort of folk horror master class there's always that dark vein right in the center um but strickland is a guy who really likes to jump around um and explore and yeah i mean at the end it will be like i've never watched all four of these movies in the same year so Mm. i am excited about that because maybe I will be able to identify something very much like yourself from that kind of close proximity of viewing. Uh, or maybe we'll be at the end going, well, he is a bit of a mystery, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's the, this old guy here just doing doing weird and wonderful things. Um, as long as, I think as long as he continues to explore, I think that's where the interest is for me. I think he's got a, a very interesting voice and he is working on new projects as we speak so i'll be interested to see what they come out with but as you mentioned 
Catelyn Vargas Where It All Begins, a movie which he, you know, just went off the grid and shot himself. Um, and if you are familiar with his later stuff, then, well, we're going to get into it. You're going to find it very quickly. You ain't seen nothing until you watch this. This one is totally not at all like the other ones. It really, really is a kind of stand, kind of standalone interest and little output. Um, What we're going to do, though, is we're going to take a short break for you listeners out there, and you're going to hear the trailer for that movie when I return myself and Richard are going to be discussing the first movie in the Strickland catalogue. This is Catelyn Varga. We'll be right back right after this. You want to put... Zsigmond megtudta. Te vagy az egyetlen, akinek elmondta. Nem én voltam, az anyám kihallgatta Orbán a Orbán is tudja. Ribanc férjének fog tartani. Fogd a fattyú fiadat és takarodj farba. Azt szállj ezt a drumus prél, miért kuré a jádulúj? Miért kuré a jádulúj? De adöcsöd rá kuréd szövegőzatot. Váratlanul meglátogassak valakiket. Polícia, te szkidesz? Polícia. Látszom, hogy itt kumba a fémében, amely Katalin Varga? Csine? Arra a bajcél, de nő az egyen, és kalatorescu karuca. Maguk nők milyen meggyőzően játszák az álfot. Welcome back, ladies and gents. You've just heard the trailer for Catelyn Varga from 2009. Uh, this one is written and directed by Peter Strickland. And like I said before, and I want to stress this, financed himself, cost 25 grand, um, and he just paid for it. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's a, you know, that's, a, that's a chunk of change that you wouldn't generally just find behind the couch. If you know what I mean, Dennis. <laughs> oh, here's my film budget. Um, but he, he did both of them. Um... In terms of the, the synopsis is listed on IMDb for this movie, in a beautiful, otherworldly Carpathian mountain, a woman is travelling with a small boy and a horse and a cart, looking to punish those who once abused her. For years, Catelyn has been keeping a terrible secret. Hitchhiking with two men, she was brutally raped in the woods. Although she is kept silent about what has happened, she's not forgotten, and her son Orban serves as a living reminder. When her village discovers the secret, Catelyn's husband rejects her. With nothing to lose, she is free to seek revenge on the perpetrators. As she puts human faces to horrible acts, she is forced to consider that moral... Mor- uh, can't speak... Mo- that 
morality, that's better, might not be as black and white as she imagined. Uh, the movie itself uh, has a lot of foreign people, which I will struggle to pronounce, um, so we will keep this fairly succinct and say that it has a lot of foreign people whose names I will struggle to pronounce. <laughs> so, uh, Hilda Peter is the is, is Catelyn Varga in this movie, so it's probably worth spending a bit of time on that. And Tibor Palfi, I think is how you pronounce his name, or Tibor Palfi, uh, plays Antal, the, the ultimate kind of rapist character in this one. Uh, the reveal, certainly, in the movie. Um, so, I, I suppose the best way to, to kind of tackle a movie like this is to probably acknowledge that, and like you said, if your experience of Peter Strickland before this is any of the movies that come after this and you have a good idea of what you think a Peter Strickland movie is like, Catelyn Varga isn't like that. <laughs> so, oh, no. the only thing it kind of has in common is a sense of dread which he manages to build up out of nothing. Like, he can oh make, you know what I mean? He can make, like, a shot of someone staring into the woods feel like it lasts for an eternity. Um, oh, boy. And that's a technique, yep. you know, that's a technique he uses, whether it's in Barbarian Sound Studio, which we'll get to later on, and certainly in a movie, although for different purposes, uh, like something like Duke of Burgundy, you know, he's, he, he's very accomplished that way. At its core, this is kind of, it's a rape revenge story, so it owes a little bit to something like I spit in your grave, but not really. Um, but has he's thank, thank oh, God. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> there, there are limits, you know what I mean? <laughs> Here's my first movie, it's I spit in your grave. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was certainly to that as a core template, but instead of doing what 70s exploitation cinema were doing, that's clearly the influence here to an extent, where they would explore the vengeance from a point of view of... You know how much violence can we portray on the screen? This one here actually takes it more psychological, and to its benefit. So this is actually the impact, like you know, kind of old adage of when you know partaking on a journey for vengeance. Remember, impact two shovels. In the case of this movie, that's literally the end of this movie. Um, it's right on the fucking nose. But you know, it's, that's it's more an exploit, uh, kind of exploration of the effects that would come out of Vengeance and there's a lot in that that I really enjoy. That to me is where the movie shines um, and it's not long and it's very deliberate. Um, mm -hmm. What were your initial thoughts, Richard, of Catelyn Varga? Uh, well, rape revenge movies are a hard sell with me because... Mm. They never revenge hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. Where, you know, even uh, I spit on your grave. You just you you suffer so much mm. with the 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 woman in the movie with um um. Her name escapes oh, me no. as well. I should know this. Uh, we'll call her Day of the Woman. Woman. No. Day of the Woman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you suffer so much with her that you don't get. The movie should be three hours yeah. for the revenge. Mm -hmm. Like she should cut that dude's dick off slow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Fall back on so, it and chop it off again. And I just, I that's one of the things I hate is is exploitation movies, uh, rape revenge movies. It's okay to portray rape as important on mm -hmm. screen, especially if you're not doing it for titillation. Uh, hello, Japan in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. 
um, but earn it. And then when you go for the revenge part, earn that part even more. Like, yeah. let's see this. And, you know, and this is trying to explore the reality of what a woman goes through, what a woman will carry with her for the rest of her life. And the reality of what revenge looks like. Yeah. Where it's just, this woman is not a trained assassin, you know, <laughs> or anything. But no, this this uh, has so much dread. And, and they do, like you said, instead of showing the rape, we tell. Yeah. And because the script is written so well. And um, our, our lead, uh, Miss uh, Hilda Peter, she sells it and is so that monologue she does on the ball oh it's incredible it's just it's astonishing mm. i mean it, it just yeah she's immediately become one of my favorite people and i hate to say it i don't remember her from <laughs> from barbarian sound studio i'm like man it's been too long yeah since i watched it but uh yeah this this has uh and it does have one foot in art house mm-hmm. and then it has that other foot in the 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 euro cult madness like this reminded me um like tonally in uh, like the way he f- he and his cinematographer film the the drabness of the ruins and nature it made me think of don't torture a duckling yes yes actually it's one of my things in my notes is don't torture hey. a duckling you know where and uh, what the, the setting plays i i know why i i, I don't imagine I imagine it was probably twofold. I imagine that he has visited Transylvania at some point and kind of fallen in love with the... You know, it'd be great to shoot a movie here. I also imagine you can do it probably pretty cheap. Um, so there's maybe, you know, there was a... It's a win-win um, sort of situation, but the what I love about this movie is it's timeless quality. You know, there's the... Until someone pulls a mobile phone out in this movie, it is really difficult to actually pinpoint, yes. you know, where we are, what time frame we're in, or anything. Um, and that is, a, that is a very deliberate choice. I also find that when you watch a movie like Don't Torture a Duckling, until the, you know, the the very sexy lady from the, the big city arrives and, you know, starts getting involved that way, it's once again very difficult to pinpoint exactly... I mean, there's cars and stuff, so we know it's after a certain point, but mm-hmm. it's very difficult to pin down roughly when that movie may be shot, and it's because you get these small time capsules, these small villages that exist almost out with the bubble of modern society. Um, they may be yeah. using certain kind of mod cons that we have nowadays, but for the most part, their way of life, the way they um, go socially, or the way they, you know work or anything like that their economy to an extent is all based around a, a different time frame and I love that about this movie because for the longest time I'd actually forgot coming back to this I'd only ever seen this movie once before and it must have been back circa 2011 I think and um, right. I remember at the time watching that movie and getting about you know halfway through it going when is this? Right, so she's got a mobile, right? So that, right, I kind of know where it is. And then I'd completely forgotten it again. So when I was sitting down to watch it, the first thing that kind of went through my head was, I can't remember this being a, like a period piece. I can't, you know, remember this being like in, you know, early 1900s or something. I, I, I didn't equate and then it all came flooding back to me. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it aids it. 
in a lot of respects. She, you go through this journey with her tirelessly on a, a horse and cart with her son and between village and village and she tries to piece things together and that's all prompted. You imagine, we, we talk about time frames in this movie, essentially there's 11 years between the rape and her, you know, her jaunt for vengeance. Uh, I use jaunt sarcastically because there's nothing jaunty about this one. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's painstakingly painful. Um, but what we are led to believe is that she has held on to this stoically behind a, a kind of mask of um, compliance and complacency for, you know, not only the village's sake, but her now husband's sake to try and live a life that gives her the appearance of, you know, some sense of... It's not even like... It's baseline normalcy. And later on, we have the antagonist who seems to have very, very, very easily just shrugged off a very traumatic incident. Oh, boy. And, you know, just just levelled himself into this very serene lifestyle where he is adored and worshipped and I, I love the contrast there but as soon as that mask comes off as soon as um, and this is right at the beginning of the movie uh, we find out that uh, Catelyn's husband has found out that you know well has found out a secret it's, it's not ex- expressly laid out we can kind of piece it together and then by the time we get to the boat it's you know it's the, the whole story's on the on the table Um but you know, she essentially takes Orban, her son, who is the essentially the bastard son of this rapist, uh, goes on a horse and cart and leaves the village to try and track down the two people involved in this. And I think that's the interesting part of things because when we first are introduced to that character, to the you know the the kind of middle section where she you know essentially kills the first. The, the first perpetrator he's the guy that didn't do anything so he's not the rapist yeah. he's the guy that just you know didn't didn't help her stood back and laughed um, to you know the, the kind of confrontation with Antal um, where everything where she acknowledges herself that this vengeance hasn't played out exactly like she thought was going to um, we see these huge character arcs like almost there's a, there's a part where we think that when she's on the boat especially, she starts retelling a story. And I'm jumping all over the place. We'll get back to a through line here. But she starts telling the story. And when she first starts the kind of monologue, there is this kind of distant look in the way she's retelling the story. Like she's trying to pull something back from a memory long ago. Um, by the time she's getting to the actual physical assault and the, the, kind, of, the, the kind of post-rape situation, she is... She's very much holding the appearance of someone that has lost their mind. Um, the the kind of arcs back in the boat and you know weird smiles and the, the fact she does not break eye contact. She can't make eye contact with him until she starts specifically talking about the physical abuse and then she doesn't break eye contact with him after that. And I think that is such a wonderful choice. But it adds to the complexity of the character. And I think that's what you were in some part alluding to about rape revenge movies is that if all we're doing is using it as a vehicle for someone to kill someone on a screen well here's her motivation yeah. for it 
she was raped. I think that is horribly two-dimensional to the complexities of, you know, what goes through someone's mind um, and how they might, you know, like, I know myself. See, if someone cuts me off in traffic, um, I may have a little fantasy about, you know, cutting that guy's dick off and feeding it to him. I'm just saying that <laughs> might happen, right? And it is... Yeah, well, it's a bit more complicated if that person has violated me. Um, so I think the movie handles that part really well. Now, does it do it justice in terms of a, a kind of real-world evaluation of psychology? I'm not the best person to ask on that, but Strickland takes yeah. a shot at it. He takes a better shot than a lot of directors have taken at it. So I appreciate he, that side of things. Uh, what do you he, think? Brings an, an, he brings a nuance to her her plight into her character and let you know let's the actress run with it and and i think that pointing out not only like her need Mm. to once her life becomes unglued she can only fix it by going back to the source of her problem yes yeah where she meets the runs head on into the hypocrisy of male society Mm -hmm. You know, where, you know, she shouldn't have killed the guy who was there. Yeah. Who didn't help her, who enabled his friend to do this. He sh- she should have let him live. But, you know, at that point, it's too late. Yeah. She's yeah. going to she's gonna take this guy out. Even with him pleading, even with him begging, she's still, she's locked into this. And you can see that it doesn't make her feel good. Mm-hmm. You can see that it, it's not like this cathartic thing anymore. It's just she's f- obsessed over this for 11 years, like you're saying. And then when she finally meets, and uh, I didn't like that uh, they portrayed Frank Zappa in this way. <laughs> when she meets her rapist, <laughs> he is such a fucking hypocrite. Yeah. Like he is so like, I'm happy now. Don't mess this up for me. Uh, don't you think me thinking about not getting caught has been punishment enough? And it's yeah, like, no, uh, no. dipshit. Yeah, that's not punishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is that. I, I, uh, by the way, kudos for the Frank Zappa comment because that's <laughs> legitimately what it looks like. Um, scarily like Frank Zappa. Um, but yeah, like, we, she. So if we're, if we're, we're kind of breaking down the, the kind of timeline of the movie, our husband finds out she goes essentially from village to village until she finds um, Gergely, I think is probably not his name, um, but it's as good as the pronunciation is going to get on this side of the mic. Um, and he's the, he's the guy who essentially we find out just stood and watched and giggled while the rape was taking place. One of two people that offered to give her a lift when she was hitchhiking and abused that trust. Um, and she seduces him. Now, I'm going to say the movie puts the premise forward, and I think it's when you're talking about the hypocrisy of the male position on this one. Like Later on, a character all but says, you know, he's got a wife and, uh, you know, he's not the great, but you seduced him and everyone in the village could see what you were doing. Mm-hmm. She may use feminine wiles to an advantage, but it takes two to dance and he was hitting yeah. on her pretty hard. So as well, I think there's a there's a, a bit of social commentary in there that I really enjoy. 
and yeah, her hand's forced and she, she, she murders him and then goes after uh, Antal after finding out what village he lives in. But meanwhile, in the back, we have the very opening scene of the movie is the, the kind of rural Gestapo, for lack of a better word, appearing at this small farmhouse, essentially searching for Catelyn Varga. They're on a trail for something horrible that she has done. Um, and obviously this is kind of... this event at the beginning of the movie is the kind of foreboding sort of level of vengeance again so it's vengeance revisited upon vengeance um which you know i love violence begets violence so to speak um when she meets Antal, like you see he's he's loved up he's got a beautiful wife she absolutely adores him um she has a, a kind of a a white picket fence, white sort of white wedding dress, image of purity of her husband, um, mm-hmm. and you know that's how she sees him, and you know, and that's what he is trying to maintain by you know claiming that. Well, don't think this hasn't haunted me, and don't think because I didn't, I've had to live with it. You know, as, as a horrible way of doing things, and. The complexities of it. This movie's cold in parts, and we're going to get back to talking about some of the cinematography and just the the actual shots in this movie that kind of leave me a bit breathless. Um, but what I love about this idea of the world that Antal has built for himself post this rape is that by not being a real person, by kind of forcing the fantasy of who he wanted to be, almost in a, a similar level to what Catelyn did herself with the, I'm not going to acknowledge what happened, I'm going to try, I'm going to keep it all inside to try and make yes. this marriage work and all the rest. Antal has set up the exact opposite of what Catelyn went through. So it's okay for, you know, th- this character to lie about certain things to an extent and build this kind of false false world, this false life. Uh, Catelyn's husband rejects her very quickly um, and, you know, essentially ostracises her. Um, Antal's built such a house of cards here that when she overhears him talk about this, this kind of breaks the psyche of his wife. Oh my God. So much so that when he wakes up in the morning, and one of the more jarring scenes, actually, I, I personally thought, um, when he wakes up in the morning and she's his wife's not there, and at first the thought is, well, she's left him, obviously. Um, and that that is literally what she does in this movie because he, you know, had this extended shot of him frantically trying to run through the fields to find his wife, to find her essentially hung she commits suicide um because she can't live with the thought of living you know out with the lie that he has built the world that he's constructed is the world that she wants to live in and this you know this woman coming to to tell this horrific and the thing is as well it's not just you know a he said she said thing he's on that boat when that whole stuff is described and he sits (laughs) through that entire encounter and says fucking nothing and what's you know that if you're then finding that out after and then reliving exactly the brutal account as you know stated out by Catelyn and then you think the person that did that didn't fucking react beside me uh, this is a monster that I'm married to um, yeah. and you know 
we, we head towards the, the ultimate end of the movie. But I think it's a I think it's a it's a rich thing to, to kinda of lean into. I once heard this movie described as a, a kinda a rural noir and I thought that was like a, like part of me craves like some sort of you know, rural, you know, <laughs> A Wisconsin noir film is what I really want to see. That's <laughs> what I'm. It's what I'm craving for. I didn't know I wanted it until the idea, uh, the term rural noir was mentioned. Yeah. I was like, yeah, give me one of them. But this idea of specifically the uh, the kind of investigation being as is the the plot unfolding over time. So I kind of there's an element of a, a kind of crime scenario being investigated in this as well as the story slowly unfolded with us as well but I think where they were aiming for the noir aspect of it is less to do with the actual story and more to do with the style of storytelling I think that's once again I'd be very surprised if Strickland doesn't credit a ton of either books that cover that sort of era or style um or if, you know, there were certain scenes in certain movies that stuck out to him when he was making it. But there is a whole lot of very brooding... Coming back to one of your words, brooding shots, um, that are explained later on in the movie and then take on a more kind of ominous tone. Because when you originally see her staring off into the woods, it's like, well... Is, does she hear something in there? Yeah, is yeah she... your, your imagination starts to wonder what's going to peek around that tree. Yeah. and But what it is is the reverberations from her trauma. Which to me is scarier know. than a ghost. <laughs> so, yeah, you know it, what I mean? No, it's, it's really a... This woman is completely broken. And you understand from the get-go why she lied mm-hmm. to this man that she married and convinced him you know that's that's one of the things you have to piece together yourself is yeah. he didn't know that wasn't his son yeah i initially you start thinking oh maybe she was a prostitute and, and you know he didn't know this mm-hmm. and he just took her in no questions asked but you know of course the one time she opens up to her best friend yeah. in the village her bitch ass mother her gossiping piece of shit mother <laughs> who I, i'm guessing we see when she's walking through the village and no one will speak to her. Yes. Yep. I'm guessing we see that woman. Yeah. And so she's the reason, like, that whole village is as hypocritical as frickin' Antal is, in a, you know, in a different way. Yeah. And so it's just, oh, but yeah, the, like, the the score, mm-hmm. the breathy, uh, um, like, chanting, singing score is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And malevolent and, and it just presses you down into this movie like even farther along with the beautiful visuals so he knows Strickland knows to pair this beauty and this freaking terror up and you know this is going to end very badly yeah I think that's I think the, the, that constant sense of and it's foreboding's only word I can use um in this movie, and specifically, not only with, with, with the score, but like as soon as that, it is like as soon as Pandora's box is opened in that village, as soon as you know that the she has to essentially go back to the source, like you were saying, and and deal with things there in order for that character to move on. Um, the the wake of what she's done in that 
especially after the, the death of uh, Jersley, it essentially opens a brand new box um, of vengeance. And what's what is incredibly, you know, horribly ironic about this is that you get the impression that if she, because she doesn't report the rape, but had she reported the rape, um, seeing how the village reacted to her and all the rest. There ain't no sympathy there for that. However, someone that was an accomplice in rape, who, you know, essentially becomes a, a murder victim, seems to be a lot of justice there for that guy. You know, like like an armed squad with all their missing. <laughs> they, they look like they're about to walk up to Castle Frankenstein. Oh, and, I you know, love the cops, the quote unquote cops. Yeah, and the police cops. Yeah, the, police. the dude with the haircut. Oh my god. It is like the, the like the worst you know like the the worst blue, but they're basically going door to door to try and track this woman down because she did the thing is as well she doesn't this is an act of of premeditated vengeance but at the same time she's not a master criminal if this is a vengeance movie an American exploitation vengeance movie she doesn't get caught seducing this guy you know. She finds a way to get this guy away from everyone and not be seen so she can continue her act of vengeance. Uh, Catelyn's observed in the bar by everyone in that village. Everyone. So as soon as she kills him and people know she was the last person with him. Oh, and by the way, she fled town the next morning really quick. Um, she's all but sealed her fate at that point. And now she has something coming after her. Um, and it is also coming through the woods to get her and just the oh I fucking love it it's just everything working together you mentioned the kind of breathy score this kind of very there's bits of acapella and all that it's just kind of this kind of score that contrasts against the the visuals but also that element early on in the movie of you know what's in the trees what's through the woods uh, and all the rest, that the weirdness that comes from this. If you're f- watching this for the first time with little knowledge, because um, I didn't know what the movie was about when I first watched it, um, I, I started to think, was well, this a kind of, is there a supernatural element here? Or is she crazy? Is she seeing things? Yeah. You know, all these things. And like you say, the story folds, uh, well, unfolds in a, a very deliberate pace that by the time we're at the end and Antal's wife is committed suicide and Antel's like well listen the boy needs to know Amy's dad and you know for what reason so we can make a go of things now that my other wife oh. is dead it's so fucking oh, creepy God. and so insidious um, and then we're you know Orban who you know has been Orban's quite smart he's pieced things together that great saying like in the movie where he's like why didn't you refer to Papa as Papa you know like and, and mm. we're all like, because, you know, we we now know. Um, and that's like, that's a telltale sign throughout the movie. We get these little breadcrumbs of information. But as soon as Catelyn goes off into the woods and we see that the quote-unquote police squad are in there, um, it's difficult to know exactly what's going to happen, but we have a good feeling it's not going to be great. Yeah, and... and, and- and then we get some hinky shit from uh, Antal yep. where, you know, they go to look for for the kid and he grabs his axe. Mm-hmm. And she says, is that really necessary? And he's like, it's for bears. And you're like, okay, 
you're need, you're gonna need to choose your next move very carefully, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Pretend you want to work things out with him because if not, he's gonna kill you yeah. for this kid. Yeah. I mean there's yeah. Essentially like the only one that can see that he it's weird because like the the f- first time I saw this movie, <laughs> um my thought was that he was gonna kill them both. Yeah. Um on the second view, and I actually I'm more in line with you. I think he wants Orban, um, you know, because that's his son. He feels some weird kindred spirit to him, almost from the first time they meet. Um, and I get the feeling he wants to, you know, he want he wants him in his life because he's lost his wife. But the first time I watched this, I was like, he's going to murder the only two people that can remotely link him to the horrible deed that he's committed. Um, yeah. But we never get to see any of that really pay off, so to speak. Nope. Um, instead, how this movie ends, and this is once oh. again a massive testament to Strickland. But at the same time, thank you for every time I watch this movie. The two times now, making me feel cold and desolate inside. <laughs> um, you know, Catelyn's grabbed by the police who essentially pin her down and then get very righteous on her without understanding, you know, of why she did what she did. They're not concerned about that, except she is a murderer, and she's a woman, and she's a murdering woman, and that's all That's all the police need to know, because God's their judge. Um, this movie ends with, and like I said at the start here, the idea of, you know, going for vengeance with two shovels to, you know, first shovel is obviously to dig the grave of your enemy but the second one is to dig your grave and that literally how this movie finishes not with a grave being dug but her face getting smashed in with a shovel which we don't see because we are the POV, POV of the shovel coming down hard and then cut to credits um, yeah it, it. he says he's sending her to hell yes and then we see after she gets struck it cuts to her and her son yep. earlier in the movie in that, that shot that is just so freaking eerie yeah. of them on yeah. the, the horse cart going on this mission. Of course, her son, Orban, or as I like to call him, Orphan, <laughs> <laughs> they are going, and it makes you wonder if she didn't actually go to hell, and that hell is this cycle of this whole story starting over again. Like, she can't escape this yeah. circular um, hilarious high five fun time adventure yeah like because like Strickland doesn't <laughs> it doesn't give you anything at all no. he he, mm-hmm. he lets it sit with you um which is a very bold choice but I'm gonna once again say if you financed it you paid for everything you get final cut on that and if that's what you want to end <laughs> your movie ain't no one arguing with that um I think, yeah, I think there's t- the two interpretations to the end of the movie are either the the kind of gladiator ending of, oh, look at me, I'm in the Elysian fields, and look, here's my loved ones. Um, or, yeah, like, welcome to the start of your purgatory, which is the repetition of the same horrible events over and over again. Um, and his choice, I actually respect more the fact that he doesn't need to clear that up or do anything out with that one because there is a cold finality to this movie which is is mandatory, it's needed, it's necessary in the viewing but is almost 
in a lot of respects, the one of the signatures of Strickland as a director, as we will find as we work through his catalogue, is endings which can be taken several ways. So he, he really does kind of like to finish a story and then hand it to you and say, right, well, you now, you run with it. Um, and I am I am 100% cool with that. I think yeah. there's a there's a, a time and a place to explain things out to the nth degree. I'm totally down with that. But with, with a movie which deals with such cold subject matter um, and such a real-world environment, like, there ain't no... There ain't no strange like haunted dresses in this movie or time travel um, or any of the other things that, you know, will will become signatures of the, the Strickland uh, catalogue. Uh, this one is is very just grounded. This is a very grounded movie and yeah. vengeance is messy and it's horrible and when you are partaking of it, it is justified. Um, but is selfish and it doesn't take into account what just like the 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 act of rape didn't take into account the impact the, the dropping of the pebble in the pond doesn't take into account the ripples that will continue on and on further down um the act of vengeance itself also doesn't take into account that you are basically doing exactly the same thing again you're triggering off uh you know an inevitable vengeance upon you if you're caught um, and it's I, I love the duplicity of that I love the, the, the kind of the two sides of the two sides of the coin that Strickland wants to explore here I think he does it really 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 well like too good for someone that's like yeah I've made this movie for 25 grand and myself <laughs> and it's my first movie by the way right. um, he, he, it's so it's so focused of intent he he holds back and holds back and it's never gratuitous Mm -hmm. and then you think about how tight this movie is Mm -hmm. though it does feel long because of the emotional stuff and the the kind of like deliberate pacing but then you're like hold up this isn't two hours yeah another director with this kind of um artistic intent Especially when they have at their disposal the the, the setting, the beautiful freaking the ruins mm-hmm. and the, the drab countryside and these horrible little villages and the what counts as a city here is is just a, a nightmare. <laughs> but like some other director who is way more full of himself, this would have been at least a hundred minutes. Oh yeah, definitely. If not in the two hours because it would just be more brooding, more like long silent spaces because they would be trying to honor or trying to, uh, to, to emulate one of the other directors of like the seventies or something, you know, the art house stuff there. Um, you know, you know, I think, you know, the, the kind of people I'm talking about, I like, indeed, yeah. like fricking, uh, like, Adam Sandler? No, I don't. <laughs> like, see, no, like I really, I really love that this isn't what you think it's going to be, mm-hmm. and it makes you. I mean, and it, it gives you all you need to talk about it. Yeah, to kind of hypothesize where it went and what it all meant. So it's really, really good. A, a, like a little seed planted in your mind that just grows and grows to something 
I think, fucking amazing. I think it's like the. I think you're right. I think if if someone who watched the same like if you look at people that emulate that, you know, have a real interest and passion for uh, this side of cinema, but do it in a kind of less thoughtful approach. Someone like Eli Roth springs to mind because Eli Roth, mm. you know, loves like and he genuinely does love the mm. genres that Peter Strickland does. An Eli Roth kind of rape revenge movie, um, it you know probably does run a bit long, and you know probably is a bit gratuitous and doesn't really leave that much for the audience to think about. Whereas when I think of 2016's L by Paul Verhoeven, which is also a kind of unconventional um, rape revenge movie, um, that's a, that's a, I think that's. That that's over two hours of memory services about the two oh, hour mark wow. as well. It's it's totally worth the the voyage through because it's Paul Verhoeven. Um, but you know what I mean? Like he packs in a lot, and it's not just that he allows the the seeds to plant with his deliberate pace. But every choice here is a deliberately slow choice. Like the 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 method of transportation is a horse drawn cart <laughs> uh, to you know to go out for. A day on the lake. It's a rowboat. Um, you know, it's all these like everything is done in such a you know slow pedestrian pace that I think it allows that story to mutate, so to speak. And then when it comes out at the end, it's you know the 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 reveal of what's gonna happen, the after effect of what's gonna happen. You know, the I'm like she doesn't kill. You know, Antal. I imagine if she killed Antal, Antal's wife would have been, you know, crushed, but she wouldn't have committed suicide. But that the worst thing, you know, the, the worst crippling blow that she could actually do to Antal wasn't to kill him. It was to essentially shatter the fantasy. It's the thing he fears the most. Like, which, like you yeah. know, don't say anything. I'm really, really... And all the rest. Um, it shatters the fantasy, which destroys his marriage. Um, but because she acted in such a way with the, the violence... To the first one, it makes you wonder: Had she done the same to Jejerly, would what would have happened? You know what I mean? She had to get that yeah. out of her system to, on some level, appreciate how horrible it is to kill someone to know that she couldn't kill Antal when e- faced with him. Either way, there's no winners no. in this. Like, even if she, like, just as soon as he fell asleep that night, just slashed his throat because he—that's the other scary thing. Mm-hmm. He falls soundly asleep. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. After that confrontation, like, he's just like, "I'm just." Oh, well, is it that time? Ah, uh, you know. Well, it well, all worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I trust her. <laughs> she doesn't seem unstable at all. Um, we will have this conversation in the morning. It, it does, you know, like her. I'm just going to leave in the morning and all the rest. He takes that very much on face value. It's yeah. It, I mean, there's so much going on here uh, for a first movie I think kind of bringing it back and bringing it in uh, is ballsy it's surprisingly mature uh, in terms of his writing he made this movie when what he was early 30s I think he was like 31, 32 when he made this movie and this is his feature debut so Jeez. I'll just save some money go to Romania do what I need to do come back done Bob's your uncle. This could have ended so badly. <laughs> yeah, well, you think about how many people sit there and think, you know, I want to make a movie. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, and they lose yeah. their house. Uh, you know what I mean? Or, or <laughs> they get a, a Razzie award uh, and no one wants to work with them again. 
or you're that or you're that dude from uh, the room, and it takes like what fifteen <laughs> twenty years for for the world to appreciate the how bad your movie is, but at the same time give you more money to make another movie. Um, oh brother! Yeah, time time can be. I, I don't I don't know if there's ever a great time to make a movie, but I think Catelyn Varga as a project and a, as a finished product. It's something that if you feel you really have something, like the confidence in this movie must have been paramount to do what he did. And what's interesting about it is that there aren't many movies that do this at all. You know what I mean? Like on this level, yeah. work at such a high level of kind of skill of writing and storytelling. But with that idea of, you know, my first movie is going to be a rape revenge movie and it's going to be an hour and 20 minutes, but it's going to work really slowly through the plot. No one ever says that <laughs> because that's not your first movie. And um, Strickland goes that way and I think it is, it is to his credit. It's something that, we're going to come back to talk about a lot yeah. in this series is the the choice of not only time period and setting, but the, the specific choice of I'm going to do a movie like this, and yeah, it's just that is a really out. good point. Yeah, I think because you wonder what was, you know, boiling under the surface, like what was like bubbling under the surface for him. Because I would think something as bizarre as Barbarian Sound Studio, <laughs> with all of its um, kind of like uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, ambitious kind of like reaching and how unusual it is like that movie and is probably bubbling under the surface while he's making this one i mean mm-hmm. it's it is a very controlled first step it is a very ungratuitous first step like a very like measured like i'm gonna do this mm-hmm. and yeah so because you think about how creative how explosively creative uh, Barbarian and uh, Duke of Burgundy is mm-hmm. those two movies are so freaking creative and so over the top reaching for these like, crazy ideas and this one's like no no reel it in reel it in muted muted keep it keep it down here keep it under the surface that's that is, that is really unusual mm-hmm. I think that's the the I now know why, because like I obviously saw this movie, um, and I saw this after I saw. Is that right? Is that how time works? Um, I either saw this just mm. before Barbarian Sim Studio or right after Barbarian Sim Studio, um, and I saw. In fact, I saw it the year before, and I didn't know it was the same director. Because when I watched Barbarian no. Sim Studio, it melted my brain, and. Um, which is the right response. Your brain should melt uh, when you watch that movie. And it's yeah, I think you're right. I think on I think he has a, a I think he has a clear he's working he's kind of working through ideas of what he wants to do. Um on his next it certainly felt that way with the Duke of Burgundy and like I say we'll get we will get to that as the season goes on. But I think it's I think it's a wonderfully bleak movie. Um I think it's coming back to watch it this time. I, I was kind of floored um, by how confident it feels like it was made, and I think that's the the one thing you should be able to see. Like, there's very few debuts that come out that 
it was something like Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers. There are very few debuts that come out that feel like, oh, we have an accomplished filmmaker here. Yeah, this guy's this guy's going to go off and do good things, and it's here. It's like right on this movie. It's it's rough in parts, but it aids it. It's rough in ways that just make the movie like feel gnarlier. Um, and it's not expl- once again. This is a movie, right? If we're going if we're going to talk about like. Um, the subject matter he covers and we'll get into it more in the next two for sure but this is a movie that deals with rape and rape revenge which does not use explicit violence or a rape scene his next movie is a movie which deals with deals with everything (laughs) deals with the creation of life but um, we never see the movie he's working on we only ever see the sound effects that he's using to essentially make the movie that he's working on terrifying um, and yucky um, and the third movie it's a kind of Eurosexploitation movie in which we don't see sex um, you know what I mean it's, it's like he holds back on giving you what you think you should see within the genre he holds back on that detail and somehow it makes the movies more effective I think that's I don't know any other director that does that I think I think yeah, and I'm I'm preempting things at the moment and already going full in with my absolute adoration and you know church of Peter Strickland, but I think it's it's all there. Um, I think we have done the Lord's good work here by covering Catelyn Varga. It's it is surprisingly hidden as a movie. Not a lot because it doesn't fit. It's not a horror movie and it's not really an exploitation mm-hmm. movie. And it's not, I, I think it's overlooked by a lot of people. And I think Duke of you know, got all the awards and all the credits, but Benny and Sim Studio is the darling of the festival circuit that I think, well, well it's t- not the darling of Giallo fans. We are going to get to that, my friend. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Cause We're, that shit's hilarious. It's, yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite kind of, Hmm. <laughs> Something doesn't fit here. Uh, but Calvin Varga, you know, it, it came out, it got a lot of people very excited, and then it kind of just disappears. Uh, it's never really been... It has, like, a DVD release in the UK. All these other movies have Blu-ray releases, but it had a little DVD release, and essentially gave him enough of a footing to go off and do future projects. It established his name. Um, but I think it's so much more than an establishing name film. I think it's a, like a, it's a genuine piece of craft here that you should check out for sure. Now, Richard, like I said at the start, this this kind of end of the show is so easy to do. I mean, we don't have to worry about this one because it asks, <laughs> um, at this stage, having seen one movie in the run... Um, you know, what his best movie is thus far in the run of one we've seen. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say Catelyn Varga is his best, um, unless unless you have found the movie he made before this and watched that as well. Um, actually, yeah, I totally <laughs> disagree. Uh, his, his first movie, Caitlin Vegas. <laughs> it's, about a, it's about a lady who uh, lost all of her money to a gambling addiction. <laughs> And she's traveling uh, by skateboard through the city of Las Vegas to burn down the uh, casino where she lost all of her money. And then she uh, kills a Frank Zappa impersonator. (laughs) 
outside the the pink flamingo. I love it. Like, let's let's make that. We could make that movie, by the way, and that would become the new darling of the festival circuit. I'm just saying. Yep. Um, and bears no resemblance to Carlton Varga at all. Um, yeah, I mean, as I'm really interested because I've never done Catelyn Varga into Barbarian Sound Studio in close proximity. So it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, we've both seen that movie. We know that just the money alone in that movie and the actors he has to play with is a jump up. Although, oh, take nothing away from Hilda Peter, who is fucking incredible in this movie. Absolutely amazing. Yep. And we will we will look out for her in the aforementioned Barbarian Sims studio. So yeah, Catelyn Varga topping the list by default. Will it retain control at the top um, after we watch movie number two, which is Barbarian Sims studio? Now, I kind of grasp from what you were saying. It's been a while since you've seen that movie? Yeah, it has been, um, I'd say, several years since then. Um, well, we'll see how fresh eyes and a new world perspective in the COVID world that we live in now uh, will have changed things. Uh, I just love this idea of me kind of post-watching that movie, just viciously stabbing a watermelon with a pencil just to make some <laughs> noise. Um, yep. Like we said at the start, you have a phenomenal show. Um, it is out there. It has a very rich library that people can go and check out, and you're covering a lot of stuff over there. Which, to be honest, if you are going to join us on the Peter Strickland stuff, you—I mean, it's all in a similar bubble. Uh, to be to be fair, um, what is the name of your show? Reminder, listeners, and where can people check it out, Richard? It is Hello. This is the Doomed Show, and it's at uh, Podomatic.com. Uh, Hello, Doomed Show. Podomatic.com, of course. We're over at the Legion Podcast Network, so legionpodcast.com and find our little button mm-hmm. and click us. And yeah, we are we're we're rocking of uh, I'm trying to wrap up this summer series, which is now that summer is over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shot on video movies. And up next is our our trilogy of Halloween stuff. So we mm-hmm. have some sweet Halloween treats for you guys. People should go and check it out. It is awesome. Richard, you will be back with me in yeah. one month's time as we sit down and take a swing uh, a movie which is, is going to get deep. There's going to be a lot of discussion. There's going to be a lot of theories. I imagine that both mm-hmm. of us will have a chalkboard or a corkboard behind us with lots of different pictures and drawings and lines attaching them all together oh as we God. try and dissect what it is that's exactly going on in Barbarian Sinistry. Just this anatomy, just groins. <laughs> Just, just growing. No, seriously though, dude, it has been way too long since you and I have have. Uh, I mean, I'm used to your voice from behind me. I'm not mm. used to your voice coming through my ears. So this is great. Thank you for having me and having me on this journey. I am very excited. It's it's only going to get more excited as we go along, and it culminates in a movie you've never seen before. So that to me is the exciting part: is fresh yeah. eyes in a brand new movie, uh, one that. Like yeah, I t- like the the discussions we're going to have on that one are going to be absolutely insane. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm so excited, so excited. Uh, yeah, uh, go check out Richard. Go uh, support this show and the other shows on the T Parts Collective. Whether it's doing the nasty for your Section Three video nasty enjoyment uh, chronicle, which we'll be finishing in just under a month. 
uh, our season three looking at British folk horror cinema, or where to begin with Jallo, which is taking you through the steps, I think, which will make you a more rounded Jallo fan, that, that you can go out and then buy Richard's book and find out that I've only mentioned 10 movies in a genre that boasts hundreds, so, and all of them made <laughs> within about six years. So, I mean, busy Italians, eh? Busy. Oh man, that's I am working on volume two. So, Giallo Meltdown Volume Two. I actually found enough movies <laughs> to talk about for a whole other book. So Can't I'm wait. really freaking stoked. Cannot wait. Yeah, oh, that's, that's worth saying as well. You have that book out there, Giallo Meltdown. You have the other one as well. Yeah, I've got three books. I got uh, Giallo Meltdown, uh, Cinema Somnambulist, and then Doomed Movie Thon. So. You can litter your shelves with my cheap books, which since, uh, you know, this uh, beautiful economy is doing so great, I've made the books as cheap as possible mm-hmm. so folks can snatch them up and, you know, hopefully review them or just buy them and donate them to used bookstores so I, <laughs> I can confuse people in the future. We'll put the links to where you can pick up those uh, from... Is Amazon the best retailer for them at the moment? Absolutely. I will put the links to all three of the books in the show notes here. Um, Thank you very much for joining me, Richard. We are going to be back in one week's time. uh, One week? One month's time. We could be back in (laughs) in one week's time, to be fair. Uh, Don't rush it. Don't (laughs) rush it. we got to... Gotta hold back like Peter Strickland, like Strickland's Peter. Hold it back. <laughs> Strickland's Peter is the thing that I'm gonna remember most of this recording. Uh, I'm gonna be using it in day to day terminology. I'm gonna start using it for everything, just things that don't even equate to what it means on this show. Just like, you know, like how, how do I mix this bread mix? Well, you use Strickland's Peter. What? That's, that's, you know. <laughs> how far away is that well it's uh, Strickland's Peter South of uh, you know what I mean just for everything from now on uh, but yeah we'll be back in one month's time for Barbarian Sound Studio but until then wherever you are folks please take care of yourselves and we will speak to you next time bye